Crawling on your knees towards it Making mama so proud But your voice is too loud Did anyone see that? You saw it, though. You, God sees it. He sees all. Um, good morning. My name is Steve Allen, and I, I am um, honored to bring God's word this morning. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this. The Advent season and, and Christmas can be some of the best times and can, can be some of the hardest times, depending on where you're at. And what your week has been like, um, just know that I see you, and I've experienced both of those things. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And honestly, that uh, idea of an impossible prayer uh, struck me as we're looking at this passage. If you think about what, what kind of impossible prayer could you be making that you'd want to see God I kind of bring to fruition in your life. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I don't know what that is for you, but for me, if I were to think of myself about four years ago, five years ago, I could not imagine myself being up here again in front of you uh, preaching um, because I was, I was certainly in a dark, one of the, the darkest time of my life. Uh, and I don't even know if I had words to pray at that time or what the words to prayer were would have been, but I even know we, we learn in the New Testament, and if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, know you're in a good place. Um, many of us are just getting to know the Bible, but Romans has this, this verse in there that says, even when you don't know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit who's with you can pray and, 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 and groans for you. And that's the place I was in. So my impossible prayer was, Lord have mercy. Um, could I get out of this dark place? And um, consequently, or interestingly enough, my, my wife had put in prayer requests that, that we were going through intense grief, that, that somehow we could see light again. And here I am, seeing light. So the impossible prayer thing is not just the thing we do at Christmas time uh, to make us feel spiritual. Um, it's real stuff. There's, there's, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. And there's another impossible prayer given up in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you look there with me, I'll read, and then we'll get into this text. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let me pray for us and ask God's help to see the wonderful things here in this word. Christ, have mercy on us. Open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we may see what you have provided uh, in this word, demonstrated in the table, sung through these carols. God, we know that this preaching is not the only thing here, and yet we know it's a key way that you give us your means of grace, and so that we would receive it. Um, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this time of year, right, like... Um, Super exciting, especially if you're a squirrely first grader, uh, like my son Rhodes. Uh, I remember first grade a little bit, and um, I think about uh, first grade, we had this huge countdown calendar up at the front of the classroom, and that was back in the time that if you um, particularly enjoyed or preferred Christmas, there wasn't like, you didn't call it a holiday or something like that. It was called Christmas. It's interesting um, because now today, you know, there were a lot of kids in my class who didn't really celebrate Christmas, but we did have this Christmas calendar and everybody would come up and tear off a day of the week and until it became Christmas break and we had such anticipation, right? When December 1st hit, um, the room was decorated with all this festive flair, and um, you know our teacher was reading books that were correlated to the holiday. And so, growing up, I loved all the shine and the shimmer of the holiday. It presented itself everywhere. I remember in Aurora, Nebraska. Thank you, Aurorans, fellow Aurorans out there. <laughs> You're not, but there are others. We on the town square had carriage rides, right? With this, this Santa Claus, a representation of Santa. But Santa Claus, for you little ones. We had carriage rides. It was magical. I remember inviting the town to our choir concerts and the elementary gym to participate in, in singing carols. And our delight as first squirrely first graders was bound up in all of these events. Such that I remember when I would hear some religious things kind of thrown into the mix, and maybe this is your story because someone dragged you along to church this morning uh, to come in here. Um, I just remember the religious stuff being sort of an add-on, like you would throw something into chili to spice it up. <laughs> and that really was Christmas for me. It's like the story of this, this beautiful woman and her young husband and, you know, beautiful baby being born, right? It's this heartwarming thing, the stuff of sentimentality. Uh, and, and so it was a complete add-on uh, to me. Really, the real stuff that I preferred was in everything else. The musics, the movies, the gifts, the holiday from school. Nothing wrong with those things. Those are awesome and wonderful things. But they didn't really ultimately give me what I wanted. 
And after Christmas holiday, I would feel a huge letdown, and I still do uh, to this day. Maybe you do too. Almost depressed. And I think part of it is, right, we had all these family and friends coming around, and everyone's in somewhat of a jovial spirit. And even if you've wronged someone last week, Christmas brought out some of the best in, in, in my family anyway. And, and so we could like forget some of the things that happened previously. Um, and that's a letdown when everyone leaves and you're kind of all alone to your own thoughts, thinking about the, the life that just, you know, your, your life this last year. But I think there's also a deeper reason the deeper reason is this, and, and you, you kind of intuitively know this, but the deeper reason is that our culture in some ways has a way of idealizing the season. All right, in our culture, we romanticize. We rest our hopes in this holiday. Whatever is bound up in that for you, We want this holiday to bring about life for us or fulfill our expectations. Our hopes are kind of, if you're honest, are are focused on earthly things. They will never be realized. They They will ultimately disappoint because your expectations, whatever those are, the things of this life can never fulfill what your heart deeply desires. And I think it's this, and I'm speaking from experience. Your heart deeply desires shalom or peace. What you want to see in the world is peace on earth as the angel rings out to the shepherds, peace on earth, right? You want to have a settledness of heart that says, I'm okay despite appearances, despite what's happening in the world. And that all of the, any glitz and glamour or shiny new things are just add-ons, right? It's the opposite. It's not like the adding into chili. It's like Christ and everything that is there in the arrival is the thing itself. And everything else are just like window dressings. How do we get to a place where our hearts can, can actually experience that and believe that? And that's, what Advent allows us to begin to peck away at, to reset those expectations, to redirect our focus. See, the reason that we're able to celebrate and throw parties is because the hope of the world has arrived in human history. And it forces us to ask the question that Mary asks here, how will it be? How will it be? And she's wondering, right? Because she has not... Been with, a, been with a man, she's not married, and she's not had sex before. So obviously she's a virgin and wondering how can a baby come out of my womb? But I think there's a deeper question. How will it be that God of the universe would choose to come in this way? It seems absurd, right? Why wouldn't you choose a different way? We're gonna unpack that, that question. This morning, I want you to regain your curiosity, though, about an angel, a virgin, and the arrival that changed the world. Three aspects to this birth announcement. First is the promise, the promise heralded by the angel, 
Second, a display of power comes into, comes into play. And then finally, grace that's conferred or given, grace that's poured out. So the promise in verses 31 through 33 proper. And behold, so in 31, if you look there with me, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we'll talk about kings and kingdom in a second, but I wanted to give us a little background here. Luke, of course, he's one of these gospel writers, one of the four. Luke has written this letter after he's carefully investigated. He was a physician, we know, uh, in, in history. And so he's carefully examined everything that he knows about Christ. He's been with him. He's been around other witnesses. And he's putting down on paper the facts about what he's found out about Christ. And what he says is happening here is that God, through an angel, is telling us that the Son of God is about to enter human history as a human through a human, which is how all of us got into this world, right? I know it sounds like a seventh grade health class, but bear with me. It's important for us to know that God of the universe sends his Son into the world in this way. It's the only way we can be rescued. There's no other way. Someone has to come into this world and live the way that we could never live in order to give us the life that we don't deserve to have, ultimately, that he would overshadow us with his perfectly righteous record. He comes in this way. Why come in this way, in the world in this way? The clues, again, and I just gave you some of those, but the clues are found in the names and titles given to Jesus. And the first one being his name, Jesus which is also Jeshua. Um, And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it means God help us. God helps. God saves. Luke is recording a pun here, right? The name of Jesus, his name and what he does is synonymous. He is who he says he is. He'll do who he is, right? He's acting in human history as the savior of the world. But who is he here to save? And from what? That's why it felt like an add-on. Christmas was an add-on, the religious stuff, right? Because I was like, I never asked to be saved. (laughs) What are you saying about the world? What needs to be saved? Who are you to say things need to be saved? Well, I'll tell you, let's unpack that a little bit. The original audience would have thought that this this future divine king would come into the world to rescue them from their evil oppressors. As if this new chosen one would be sort of like a military figure and would lead them to overthrow the evil oppressive government. That's part of what they would understand this divine king would have. And, And in the end, he disappointed, right? He was... I mean, what we know, looking back, he was more than that. He wasn't less than that. He was more than that. Uh, But they were disappointed in Jesus. That isn't why he came into the world. And a parallel passage of Matthew says that Jesus was coming to save us from our sins. John, that uh, the book of John that that Matt started preaching in last week about the darkness of the world talks about in chapter three, right? God so loved the world that he what? Gave his son, 
that we might not perish, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but would find eternal life. In other words, in this title, Jesus, what Luke is writing and recording is saying he's coming into the world because we have a barrier in our lives. The barrier keeping us from living our best and settled lives is not our enemies. It's our waywardness. It's our propensity to wander, to walk away, to move toward insanity. Any steps away from God, who is real truth, right? Real reality, life in him, is a step toward insanity. But that's what we have chosen. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Not only rescued from ourselves, but the second title that he gives, we see in verse 32, He came to rule and restore all of life. There is not a part of this earth that he doesn't say is mine. And he owns it all and he came to rescue it. And that's what we get in verse 32. He'll be the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And I get it in our modern minds. It's so difficult to be stirred up by talk of king and kingdoms unless you're a big fiction person and, and you watch all those shows uh, about kings and kingdoms. I guess you could be a little bit stirred. But you need to know that when God announces his arrival, he's coming into a context where king and kingdoms was the way of life. And of course, in parts of the world, that is still a way of life. Uh, for us, though, we understand We know what it's like to have people in power and in leadership, male and female, but who are leading in nefarious ways, who are corrupt, who are disappointing, right? It wasn't to be that way. God's leaders were to be like what was written in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 17. If we had time, I'd go back there and read it. I'd encourage you to do so. His plan for leaders in the world and, also, and, and, and really, in this ultimate leader found in Jesus, they were to be good. They were to be just. They were to be humble as they lead. Can you imagine leaders who are like that? Hopefully we get a picture of that in, in the places we work or in our churches for sure. But that this ultimate leader, that those who would rule the nation would be just and merciful and walk humbly. And, and really, the, the main feature, if you look back at Deuteronomy 17, is that actually they wouldn't, they wouldn't be greedy. That was like the main character that what, 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 what can get you out of leadership position if you're a greedy person, if you like too much gold and silver. I mean, it's, 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 it's really fitting, actually. Because a lot of power gets corrupt today because of the, this lust for for money or wealth, right? That wasn't what the leadership was supposed to look like in God's economy, in God's world. And so what you have in Jesus is this right kind of king who will not only live once and then die, but he will go on living for eternity. Right? He came to put all that's upside down in this world and lead in such a way that makes things all right side up, even our crooked hearts. 
And yet some of you, when you hear that, you still may be thinking, I didn't ask to be saved, nor do I need it. And I get that. To some degree, it feels as though this whole salvation thing has been forced upon us by religious people. Until you look at what's happening outside and inside your home. You look at what's going on outside. You see the gun violence in schools. You see people driving cars into parades of elderly people. You see young boys and girls being abused and trafficked. You see mass incarceration of people who have skin color that's darker than many of us in this room. Don't even go outside of my, look inside of my home and you see this kind of conflict going on with me and my kids because we want our ways. And so anger sprouts out. We say things we don't mean ultimately. Right? The problem isn't just outside of us, it's inside of us. And Advent is that time where we get kind of honest. We get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, 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 and if we don't do that, we're just avoiding. We just end up avoiding what's really there. We, if we don't get to a point where we say the world is not the way it's supposed to be, which is what these first century hearers were starting to say, and, and it's why people were ready to receive Jesus. The way the world is is not the way it's supposed to be. Your life has not turned out the way you would want it to be. My life has not turned out the way I thought it would turn out. Then we're in a position where we can actually receive the gift that's offered to us in the, re- in the arrival of Jesus. And usually, though, it's not, it doesn't lead us that direction, right? Our solution this time of year often is to maintain a sentimental illusion about life. We try to ignore the wounds that we've caused other people or that we ourselves caused other people by buying extravagant gifts to win back their affection. We consume copious amounts of uh, Johnny Walker uh, to avoid the holiday altogether. I just saw Christmas vacation last night. How do you get through it? Well, I had a little help from Johnny Walker. <laughs> so true, man. Uh, or we consume copious amounts of Hallmark movies where we get to fantasize about having a Norman Rockwell kind of family life, especially if you are white and middle class. We have the perfect little kids who adore parents and are filled with gratitude on Christmas Day. If you can find a time when that was the case in the Allen household, I, I would love to capture that in, in a picture. Um, I had a friend growing up, and we know this is not the case. Things are not perfect. I remember this friend growing up. I love going over to his house because it smelled of Christmas all year round. And like these bags of potpourri, however you say that, everywhere. I'm like, man, it's always smelling like Christmas in here. And uh, my house did not smell like that. My parents smoked inside of our house. And so that's what my house smelled like and, and me, consequently. And so I love going to his house. And I, I'm sure his mom just hated it because I would fill it with smoke. Uh, but uh, we... <laughs> We would go into this house, but the thing is, and she loved having us, um, but she would always denigrate him for being a slob. Probably one of the cleanest fellows I knew. 
a very responsible person, um, has this, you know, he's doing great things in the world, making an impact. And every time we'd be there, she would just talk about how big of a slob he was and embarrass him in front of, in front of us. And we know now, I mean, I know in taking uh, counseling classes that she had her own wounds, right? She had her own yard that needed to looked at and that she was avoiding because she wanted her house to look like a page out of the Home and Gardens, Better Home and Gardens magazine. She needed her life to be perfect because things were not perfect. You ever been there? She was trying to overcome her life and avoid those things by controlling her life. Look, those are just illusions, maintaining sentimentality. They're not real solutions. Real solutions come when you're actually able to sit in the darkness for a while, like we learned last week in John chapter one. You sit in that place during Advent. And I know that's kind of freaky, it's not a popular message, right? But that's the only way you can get to real solutions. And that we learn, and when you get to that place, you realize your need for a real savior or Jesus from most high, who's here to rule forever. Christmas is the time when we look back at God's rescue plan arriving and it arrives in power. This display of power comes in verses 26, 35 through 36. It's seen in an angel, this display of power. Verse 26, the angel was sent to a virgin. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, verse 35, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So these verses share the nature of God's arrival. First, an angel comes to visit. Now, don't mistake the angel visit for some porcelain-skinned Swedish model with perfect wavy hair, which is what's depicted in some of our paintings and knickknacks that we put on our walls. Do you put them on there, Claire? I don't think you do, but I was just looking at you for some reason. In the Old Testament, when anyone met an angel, they would fall flat on their face, almost like death. They would become death right there in front of the angel. I think of Joshua, the Lord, commander of the army. Joshua comes up and he's this mighty warrior. He's leading the people into the promised land. He was promised that. He took over from Moses. He had this big calling on his life and the commander of the Lord's army is there and he falls on his face and almost dies. Almost has like a heart attack. That's the kind of depiction, I think, an image we should have when we think of this angel. And again, we should, would have responded. Actually, Mary stood in, probably says something about the strength of women uh, that we, we understate all the time in this patriarchal society. No, I'm just, I'll get on that subject. But, but she stands in. And yet she has a similar reaction, right? She's full of fear. She's greatly troubled, it says. This word greatly troubled means that she was deeply agitated. She was mentally disturbed. She was incredibly afraid. And we often think of Mary in these superwoman ways, you know, devout faith and holding up the fort. Without any emotions, she just goes through like any good German immigrant would do, you know, and no emotions, just go through the pain. She was filled with fear. She didn't know what was happening, right? 
The angel has to calm her down and say the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, which is totally strange. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do not be afraid. And in that moment, in that word, she was able to calm herself down. The Holy Spirit, in that moment, right after that moment, made Jesus a living person inside of human life. And on the one hand, what that means is Jesus became truly human. And that's important because we need one of our own to come in who is not sinful but sinless to rescue sinful people from from death. Jesus became truly human, but on the other hand, he's truly divine. And that's what it means when when the phrase is used overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. That overshadowed with the Holy Spirit is a similar description that we find in Genesis chapter 1 to describe the creation of the world. That the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering or overshadowing the face of the waters. In other words, Mary would not become some supernatural, devout faith person, even though she did display that kind of faith at points. But the emphasis of this passage is that Jesus would be engulfed in the spirit as he comes into the world. And that is a miracle. And that takes the power of God. The power of God is displayed in full when with the arrival of Jesus. So we ask, how will this be? How will this, how will this, how can this be? She's a virgin. We ask the same question. And part of why we ask, we ask that question today, or at least I do when I was studying this text is because if, if you're the God of the universe, you know, you hold everything in the palm of your hand kind of thing that we hear in Christian music. Wouldn't you expect doing away with evil in a different way? Right. I've heard people talk about it. It's, it's kind of interesting to think about. Like, wouldn't he want to put on his great big boot and, 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 and step through the world and, and crush everything that's evil and then just bring, you know, and then we all follow him and, and everything's great? Um, why wouldn't he just do that if he could, if he had all that power? Why would he come in this way? And part of it is because you and I would be crushed under the boot <laughs> if we didn't have a substitute. If we weren't overshadowed by Christ and his holiness, we'd be crushed under that big boot. Jesus. And God so loved the world, right? That he sent his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life so that you wouldn't be crushed. But as you turn your heart to him, what? Your heart, you are overshadowed by the spirit of the most high. And this king, this king um, encourages your, your loyalties, your allegiance. You know, honestly, things like the virgin birth are the reasons that I believe. <laughs> Why would you make, make this up? I mean, no, that's just a classic question, but seriously, um, it can make for an interesting story, but it wouldn't be sustained like it has. Uh, if, so I'm taking Luke at his word that this scene really happened. The virgin birth really happened. And in fact, it was predicted, as Matt said earlier in the service, about 700 years prior in the book of Isaiah, 
In fact, we could say probably from Genesis 3, chapter 14, 15, that there, there was a promised king coming into the world. And Isaiah kind of picks up on that prophecy. We see this, this, this future king at points throughout the Old Testament, years and years. And then 700 years, Isaiah predicts it. And this time of year, I know it's difficult to be amazed by this, but these events and patterns fit Jesus perfectly. Why is it so hard to be amazed by this? Uh, I don't think it's because we're just so sophisticated and creative, but we kind of are, right? Like our technology is awesome. It can lull us to sleep on, on the real uh, miracle that, that has happened at Christmas. I mean, I talk to a speaker and it tells me how to spell nostalgia. <laughs> we go on plane rides uh, all over the place. Amazing technology. But nobody, nobody has the creative power that God has in being able to take a fo- void and formless earth and create a world. Nobody can claim a virgin birth. Nobody, but God has this creative power to raise people from the dead. Here's what I want to do this morning, what this is all pointing to for us. I think instead of guilting you to get rid of all your stuff and become a minimalist, don't, you, know, you don't necessarily need to get rid of the presence, but I'd rather you this Advent, this Advent consider if I am so amazed by this gadget or that experience or this piece, this food or this piece of art, how much more should I bend in awe at the creative power displayed in God's act in history at the nativity where the spirit forms a man inside a virgin? Amazing, right? Consider, not just for a second, but take your time. Sit in that for a bit this Advent season as you begin to reflect and you have that question that's similar to Mary's, which is a question of curiosity. How will it be? You're ready to receive God's gift of grace. We see it come to Mary in verse 28. In verse 37, the angel says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. God comes privately to a humble woman in a rural village, a very insignificant place, Nazareth. The angel uses this phrase, favored one. It's an expression of divine working. His favor signifies God's gracious choice of someone through whom God does something special. You can see it throughout the story. It happens with Noah and Hannah, and we can name a lot of people where favor rests with them. So Mary in that way is not different than that. Mary's experience, though, on the other hand, shouldn't be understated. She was a virgin. She wasn't married. Matthew says that her fiancé, Joseph, was embarrassed by this. There was dissonance in there. There was conflict in their relationship when Jesus was entering the world. I think we forget that, and, and we need to appreciate that Mary stood in there as the favored one, and she didn't let it crush her. There was a whole bunch of embarrassment and awkwardness on this whole scene. And we forget that at these scenes of Christmas. You know, on paper, the advent of Jesus' birth was scandalous. Why point that out? 
I think it's because of this. If you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, and this season leads you to self-reflect and notice the ways you've fallen short, and maybe even brings you to a point of discouragement or embarrassment or shame in the same way that Joseph was at the, at the conception um, of his fiance. As you begin to grasp uh, the nature of it, see your own broken heart, Know that it's at that place of embarrassment that God comes into the world. It's at that place of your greatest shame that God says, I'm not embarrassed by you, even if you're embarrassed. It's at that point of your greatest wreckage that Christ doesn't give up, right? Even to the point of death, death at the hands of guilty people. As you grasp this event, however, of God coming into the world at the nativity, that you would look forward to a future event, because that's kind of the point of Advent. It's not only to see this here and stop there. I think that is why I felt a da- a, you know, down after Christmas, or why I do today, is because I forget. And what this table points to, that we're going to participate in in a moment, is that Jesus plans to come again, you know. Um, we don't know, I mean, we don't know when exactly, but we're called to be, be those who would watch. He came at one point to start that rescue plan in motion, right? He starts that rescue plan, he's establishing his kingdom, he's ruling, and he'll come again, and, and everything you know will be changed in an instant. All the plagues of this world will end and all the plagues of your broken heart will be no more. The hope in the Christmas story hangs on this promise of God that he makes good by his power experienced by his grace. May we choose this Advent season to cut through all the sentimentality and see Jesus who saves. Let me pray for us. Father. Take only what you need from him Family of trees wanting to be haunted
Jesus.